the argument of of uh, if we give one thing back, you know, that's going to open the floodgates and and everybody's going to be coming at us to uh, get their things back. Well, you know, I like the notion of that. I like them saying that because um, anything that was wrongfully taken, you know, deserves to be back home within their own country. Hi, and welcome to Declarations, the human rights podcast run out of the Center of Governance and Human Rights, CJHR for short, here at the University of Cambridge. I'm Matt Mahmoudi, and I'm a PhD student here at the Center of Development Studies. And I'm Sarir Mohammed, and I'm a PhD student studying politics and international studies here at Cambridge. And we're your hosts for this season of the Declarations podcast. With every episode, we'll be exploring contemporary debates about politics and human rights with people who study them, people who fight for them, both here in the UK and around the world. Today, we're talking about reclaiming cultural heritage. What does cultural heritage mean? Who can claim it? And what does it have to do with rights? From Australia, we're joined by activist Rodney Kelly, fighting for the rightful return of a set of spears and shield to the Guigo people. Rodney's gained prominence for his marches, lectures, and petition for the Parliament of New South Wales to request the return of what is a crucial part of his cultural heritage. Also joining us today is our regular panelists, Niusha Bastani, Arindrajit Basu, and Michael Barton. Welcome to the show, guys. I started 29th of March 2016, and that was when the artifacts were on display in in a Canberra museum. So that was my first protest. I did do a lot of research uh, in the prior months and a lot of uh, talking about it, but um, it pretty much started on that first day when I'd done a protest um, at the museum in Canberra where where the spears and the shield were on display. Yeah, my name's Rodney Kelly. Uh, I'm, I'm from Australia. I'm, I'm a Gwegel man and yeah I've been over here in Cambridge uh, yeah, talking to the museums about uh, returning artifacts. Great Rodney, so I'm wondering if you could give us a little more background on the Gwegel spear and shield, its significance and how it came to be such a site of uh, controversy. You know there are four spears that the Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology have in Cambridge here and there also is um, a shield in the British Museum. Uh, and, you know, since I found out uh, who I am and where I come from, um, and that my ancestors were there that day on, on the beach when Cook arrived in Australia, uh, you know, i really taken it on myself to um, try and fight for the rights of, of my ancestors who had their things stolen that day. And, uh, you know, I've been uh, trying to show the museums that uh, there is a real need for these artifacts back home and uh, you know we've lost so much so much language and so much of our traditions so these artifacts once returned home you know they can really change um, how non-indigenous people back home uh, think about Aboriginal people and and change um, the youth and and the indigenous youth back home, you know, they can have some pride in who they are and where they come from, and and actually see these artifacts in our own country. So, you know, I feel re- very strongly about uh, fighting for artifacts uh, to be returned, and and just like to uh, 
yeah, talk to as many people as I can and just try and get my point across of how important and how significant these artefacts are to us because, you know, they were the first things that were ever taken from our people. So um, it was a really traumatic experience for those people back then. then and uh, to have these artefacts back, back home will, will yeah, make, make our people so proud of, of who we are and where we come from. Rodney, what can you tell us about the museum's responses to your engagements here so i put a submission in uh saying that you know i I claim the spears back for my people and and you know they need to be returned but they've come along and they've said no um they talked about uh, my oral history uh they talked about um who i represent they say you know i don't represent the guigal people Hmm. Um, so pretty much everything uh, I put in the report, they, they went against. And they talk about a loan all the time, uh, you know, giving it to us on loan again. But uh, that, that could be a good step uh, in, the, in the campaign. But, you know, the only, only right thing to do is, is have these artefacts returned back home to the, to the rightful owners. And that's the Guigal people. Do you mind giving us more of a background on the spear and shield themselves and how they came to be in the museum's collection? Yeah, so uh, the spears in the Cambridge Museum and the shield in the British Museum, they were taken on that very first day when Cook landed in uh, Botany Bay in 1770. So after some musket fire and some spears were thrown... Uh, you know, my ancestors were scared off the beach and and that's when Cook and his crew walked the beach and they walked up to the huts and, and they took pretty much everything they could get their hands on uh, and took them back to the Endeavour where they, you know, come back to England and got distributed out, um, you know, given away by people like Banks and Lord Sandwich and, and Cook himself so most of these collections come from gifts um, from those people who were on that ship that day so that's how most of these uh, museums got got their collection and uh, you know they it all comes down to yeah that first day when when my people got scared away and and everything was taken so they were taken wrongfully and uh, you know it's it's time they get returned Rodney, you mentioned there was some pushback from the museum in terms of questioning your report. So I'm wondering if you can speak a bit about what you included in that report and how you think someone can go about making claims similar to the ones you're making. Yeah, in the report, um, I put all my family history, my family tree, uh, and there were oral history that associated my family uh, with the man who was there that day and who held the shield. Uh, and that went in the report as well. And, and that's one thing um, the Cambridge University uh, said against was uh, oral history is not, you know, you can't corroborate uh, oral history. So, you know, for thousands and thousands of years, our people back home just passed things down through word of mouth, uh, song and dance uh, and rock paintings. We didn't have books or anything. We didn't write stuff down. Uh, our stories were, were fact, and, and that's how it was done for thousands and thousands of years. And 
you know, these museums need to recognise that, you know, oral history is um, our history and, and it means so much to us. So that was one of the things, you know, that, that they put against me. So how does this uh, re- reclaim of cultural artefacts relate to, I mean, the struggle of indigenous movements in, in Australia and, and around the world? So uh, you mentioned that it allows young people, for example, to have pride in the history again. So could you elaborate a little, little bit more about how this may have, the idea of cultural heritage may have re- relevance for not just in Australia, but in other parts of the world as well? Yeah, uh, you know, so much... Um, cultures around the world have things in museums and, and you know that were wrongfully taken and, and um, a lot of those things are very significant for those people you know in them countries so my fight for, for the artefacts for my people I, I relate that to other indigenous peoples around the world you know other tribes and that uh, who have their stuff taken from them as well and um you know, I hope maybe one day uh, when my things get returned that, you know, they can do the same for for lots of other cultures around the world because lots of our cultures around the world have have been, uh, you know, subject to a lot of, lot of racism and, and racial policies and stuff. So, um, you know, a lot of cultures are, are missing that, that thing like like what we're missing in Australia, you know, that can revive culture and, and teach these young kids how how we lived for thousands and thousands of years, you know. So um, I love um, doing this sort of work because I know one day uh, it will help these other cultures around the world reclaim their things that were, you know, wrongfully taken from them as well. So I really think... A lot of kids, you know, a lot of kids from cultures around the world will one day um, have their items back from these museums, you know, and they could be so proud of who they are, proud of where they come from because, you know, all our cultures are, are very special and I just hope, yeah, these museums can see one day that uh, that the right thing to do is is uh, give back all these things that were wrongfully taken to all these cultures around the world. So you've been going about this campaign in a kind of a grassroots way. You've been coming on trips to the UK, you've been doing public speaking engagements, you've been having kind of rallies and just generally kind of trying to generate support for your cause. I was wondering if you could tell us about First of all, what kind of interactions you've had with governments, both in Australia and here, uh, about this topic? And then secondly, and kind of more generally, just why you're using the methods that you're using and why you've decided that those are the best way to go about this? Back home in Australia, I've had motions pass through New South Wales Parliament and Federal Parliament. And those motions support the return of the Gweagle artefacts from UK museums. Uh, you know, they support me uh, in what I'm doing. And it just basically, these motions basically say that, uh, you know, the Gweagle people are the rightful owners of, of all Gweagle artefacts that are produced on our territory. So, um, you know, I've had them motions passed through Parliament. Uh, I did have the federal government 
because they didn't have enough votes to um, vote against my motion, they come out in the end, um, Turnbull government, and they said that they believed um, these UK museums are the legal owners of these artefacts. Um, so it was sort of, you know, I had had them with me. Then, then uh, the museum took the government's word, you know, re- very serious, and they said that the government uh, wasn't supporting me. But you know, my motion was the first motion in Australia's history to be passed unanimously. So. You know, that was a very proud moment there, uh, having an Indigenous topic passed, you know, through Parliament unanimously, and that's the first time in history that that has ever been done in my country. So um, that was a great uh, thing to happen there. And, uh, you know, I had this government support and uh, lots of support from people back home, but, you know, I, I... First thing I done was went to the Ten Embassy, the Aboriginal Ten Embassy, and I asked them, you know, what should I do? Um, that's my ancestor shield and and spears that these museums have and have taken wrongfully, and um, they put me in the right direction. Uh, I had a protest at I had a protest at uh, Canberra Museum where. The shield and spears were on loan uh, for an exhibition. Uh, that was my first moment in the campaign uh, at a protest. Uh, and, you know, I think there's so many different things back home uh, that go against uh, my people. Uh, the only sort of way we can... We can uh, fight against it and and bring awareness to other people is um, with our protests. Um, You know, we get together in groups and and we have very peaceful protests. Uh, We don't get angry or nothing. We we yell a bit, but they're always very peaceful protests. And I think, you know, seeing the grassroots movement back home and and how the protests have, have really you know, made people think. Uh, that's why I thought maybe the best thing for me is, you know, do a couple of protests, go to England and, and you know, just try and talk to as many people as I can and, and try and get my point across of of how significant these artefacts are to my people and, and hopefully, you know, maybe I could find the right person one day who, who has some power and, and, you know, has a heart and, and will... Uh, help fight for the return of these artefacts. So, you know, I really think the grassroots mob back home have laid a platform for me and and that's how I've, um, you know, taken my time in in protesting and and just trying to do lectures, just trying to talk to as many people as I can in in a peaceful way and, and I really think that that you know is helping out a lot and and getting more people talking about it and that's the ultimate thing that I want in the end is is to have that conversation brought out about all these museum pieces that that were wrongfully taken so you know I'm only happy to to be doing these protests and and lectures when whenever I can
So, Rodney, why do you think this conversation makes people uh, so uncomfortable? And generally, they tend to jump to defend the status quo, either by making the argument that, you know, if, if you were to claim, you know, a certain cultural heritage, sort of an artifact, then, uh, then you know, that would uh, open the room for anyone to, to make the same claim. And what do you say to, to the people who sort of go down uh, that slippery slope? Yeah, you know, the, the argument these uh, places use are just so wrong and, and behind in the times. Uh, there is a need for these artifacts back in their own countries and you know, they need to see that uh, the argument of of uh, if we give one thing back, you know, that's going to open the floodgates and, and everybody's going to be coming at us to uh, get their things back. Well, you know, I like the notion of that. I like them saying that because um, anything that was wrongfully taken, you know, deserves to be back home within their own country. I'm really glad that that's the answer, you know, that's the question or answer that they give because um, it's only showing people that um, you know there is a need for the for artifacts to be returned and and that their view is outdated and and needs to be uh, you know move up with the times and and they need to start having a heart and start giving back these things to to all these cultures around the world because um, hopefully what I do. Um, is going to inspire other people to stand up. You know, this is what I want. I want other people to stand up as well and fight for their culture. Um, and, you know, just just by the museums and, and uni saying that, you know, I only welcome them to say that because that itself will inspire people to stand up and, and want to reclaim their history as well. So, you know... The argument is is so wrong, and and yeah, they they will change their minds uh, sooner or later. But everything that they have that was wrongfully taken, you know, deserves to be back in in their own country, and that's the only place that they belong to. They don't belong anywhere else. Um, you know, if people want to learn about about culture. The only place to learn about cultures, you go to them countries and, and learn from those people all about their culture. And um, yeah, so hopefully it does open avenues for people to, to reclaim their items that museums have all around the world. So I study international law and um, the law both internationally and domestically is very complex and in many ways for articulating for rights is possibly ineffective. So could you give us some insight into what your perception of the law on the return of cultural heritage is and what utility it could have in your struggle and the struggle of other indigenous people in other parts of the world as well? Yeah, sometime through this campaign, I did speak to lawyers um, and they done a lot of research uh, trying to find a law that, that could help with this. They did find a law old common law but with laws and stuff you know you need so much amount of funding and um, you know one of those cases it is one of those cases that would drag on for so long and and cost so much money you know they'd want it to drag on as long as they they could possibly get it to drag on so um, you know, these financial constraints on us are, 
uh, hurting us. Uh, like um, if I had enough money to to put on a case, you know, I could really really change change their view and and make them you know give back these artifacts. Um, so there is a law out there that that can help people from around the world uh, reclaim their their artifacts and stuff. So. Um, when I went to the British Museum, I took a QC with me, um, Stephen Gross, um, and they didn't really like that too well. Uh, <laughs> th- yeah, they treated him uh, pretty bad, uh, talked to him pretty bad. Um, but, you know, he was he was there to show them that, uh, you know, I meant business and, and that there is, you know, legal help out there that, that in some way can help indigenous peoples from around the world so um you know there's there are legal avenues but it's it's the funding and and the you know the money to go with that case you know most of us will never be able to get or or you know we we can never do enough fundraising um you know governments don't help uh people with uh artifacts with trying to repatriate artifacts so for it needs to change uh with with uh you know i'd love somebody to come along and take my case on you know like um i'd love some rich lawyer to uh actually come along and and say he'd do he'd take the case on pro bono and and uh let's really stick it into the british museum uh, you know, I'd love that to happen, but, um, you know, without the money, uh, without the funding, uh, a, a court case could never go ahead. And, you know, I hope that could change one day because, um, you know, if there's some funding out there for, for cultures around the world um, and we started putting, you know, cases into to courts... Uh, you know, we could put all this pressure on on these museums and and finally make them return artifacts. You know, um, without having to go through all this uh, legal stuff. So, um, you know, there are ways that that the legal system can help. Uh, it'll be very complicated, and and there'd be a, have to be a lot of research put into it again. But um, yeah, maybe one day when the funding's right and uh, things things might happen, and and that could only help uh, every culture around the world who who are asking for their things back. Absolutely, and if there are any rich lawyers listening, <laughs> be sure to send us an email. But um, Cambridge have a really complex history with this: the return of cultural artifacts. Because on one hand, we have the Guigal Spear. Uh, We've also got the Benin bronze story um, in Cambridge, which is um, Jesus College, one of the colleges in the University of Cambridge, um, has in its possession uh, a cockerel. So it's effectively like a chicken, um, a bronze chicken. Um, and these are called, it's a part of a series called the Benin bronzes. And these artifacts used to actually um, reside in the kingdom of Benin, um, in modern day Nigeria, but also part of Benin. Um, so the story of the Benin bronzes is that they were taken by theft um, and that effectively now some of the artifacts uh, reside in the British Museum, 
repeat offenders, and some of the artifacts reside in Jesus College, um, in the dining hall. It used to be in the dining hall. Um, after uh, deliberation, um, I think a, a prince from uh, a prince from Nigeria actually came to reclaim some of the artifacts himself. Um, they removed the statue, but they didn't actually put it anywhere. They just kind of put it in storage and said, we'll put it away instead of repatriating it and giving it back to the people who are claiming it. Um, I'm wondering what you think it is about a space like Cambridge that makes these stories happen over and over again. And what do you think it is about the history of a place like Cambridge um, that that facilitates this kind of longstanding injustice? See, they thought we were a dying race and, uh, you know, they wanted to learn as much as possible as they could. So that meant, you know, um, getting lots of artefacts, uh, lots of human remains. So it was really that time where, where the study was so important to uh, people like those in Cambridge here where they would just, uh, you know, take artefacts in without knowing, you know, where they'd come from and how they were taken. So I think, you know, it's got to do with, with yeah, all these uh, Cambridge, like, academics and stuff, like, back in the days who, who just wanted to, um, yeah, learn as much as they can on, on, on uh, Aboriginal history. And they wanted to, uh, you know have very significant items of, of Aboriginal history and, you know, they use the argument of, of uh, you know, a lot of uni students get to uh, see them and, and, you know, do uh, study on it. So, you know, a lot of their thinking is, is with the study, you know, they think they're a big, it's, it's Cambridge, you know, it's one of the one of the best places to come and study and, and learn things. So I think that has a lot to do with why they want to keep these artefacts, uh, you know, and, and keep going with that view is is uh, they think that, you know, so many people are, are going to uh, learn all they can and do studies on these artefacts. So, you know, that, that thing needs to change as well. And, you know, they need to realise uh, that, yeah, the only place... Is, is the best place to study um, these cultures around the world is, is in their own country. So, um, yeah, that's what they need to realise and, and stop, you know, living in the past um, and and start coming to the future and, and learning what most people want to do. You know, they want to give back artefacts. They, they want to uh, start the healing process uh, where, where, you know, these... Yeah, the people with power in the universities, you know, they, they want to try and hold on to all they can. So, Rodney, we've, we've talked about, you know, several different attempts at trying to achieve justice. And you've been through the parliamentary system. You've been through legal aid. You've gone through the process of protest. And I'm, I'm starting to wonder a little bit, what do you think for future endeavors for folks who are looking to claim the right to other artifacts. What what generally do you think they should keep in mind when they are defining a right to, to objects? What's important when making a claim? Uh, what do you fall back on when you're trying to back up that claim? What can you sort of teach us uh, of best practices on that front? 
the advice I got is, you know, you've got to stay humble um, throughout the campaign. You can never let anger um, take over in any form. Uh, you've always got to think things through when you're in a campaign like this. And you've always got to, yeah, you've got to have your history there, you know, to back you up. And, and you've got to have the elders, you know, the elders, they're, they're the smart ones and, and they know everything. So as long as you've got your elders, you've got your history, there's no reason why these institutions shouldn't give back your stuff. You know, I hope by me starting this conversation and, and having protests around Cambridge and London, uh, yeah, hopefully that can inspire uh, you know other other cultures and and I hope they always remember to uh, stay humble throughout the campaign uh, you know never let anger take over and and always uh, speak the truth and, and be there for the truth you know uh, they don't like the truth when it's been spoken uh, and they try to tell us our history and I'd like people to always remember, you know, uh, our cultures uh, define who we are and our, our culture tells us who we are and, you know, nobody else can ever tell us where we come from or who we are. Um, that's our choice and that's for our people to decide. Um, so I'd like, you know, always remember that. So hearing your historical account of Cambridge's role in all this as students and people who live at Cambridge, work at Cambridge, it's pretty evident that we're complicit in the theft of these objects and the fact that these objects are being kept here sometimes under the justification that they're here for students to use as objects of study. So I'm wondering what you think are effective ways for people living in Cambridge to support the struggle, um, to act in a respectful and supportive way to the work that you're doing? Yeah, I've always thought um, the best thing for this campaign is the people of Cambridge. The people of Cambridge, they're the ones who are gonna ultimately, uh, you know, make this decision for the museums uh, you know the people of Cambridge is what I come over here to talk to uh, I don't come to talk to the museums uh, I come to talk to the people because uh, I think you know the way I will get these artifacts back is through the people um, you know so that's what I try to do, is just talk to as many people as I can and, you know, hopefully I'll find that academic or, you know, that student or even that person who, who's not in the academic world or in the university world, you know. Hopefully uh, I find one of those people who, who um, have so much heart and, and take this case on, this campaign on and you know, write letters to academics and, uh, you know, stuff like that. So I really think the people of Cambridge uh, can really help out. Hopefully, you know, my trips over here 
are going to uh, find that person one day who who has the power to uh, speak to the committee, you know, and and basically change the committee's mind uh, and make them have a heart and finally you know, return the Gweagle artefacts. So, you know, there are lots of things people can do uh, around Cambridge and, you know, they could write letters to the to the academics around the place and, you know, to the universities, to the museum itself. You know, maybe some political support, you know, that might help go a long way. Uh, so there are so many things the people of Cambridge uh, can do to support this campaign and... You know, that's why I, I travel so far from Australia, just to talk to the people of Cambridge, because I, I know people are, of Cambridge are good people and, and they know what's right. So I really think they're the key to this campaign. So you talked a little bit about um, explaining to students, explaining to academics about the need for these artifacts um, back home. I was wondering if you could let us know exactly what the significance of these specific artifacts are and what they could do if they were repatriated? The Gweagle artefacts that are in the Cambridge Museum and the British Museum, you know, they're very significant to our people back home. They were the first ever theft on our land. They were the first things that were taken from us. And people just got to look through um, the history of Australia um, the true history and they'll find out since that first day in 1770 you know so many bad things have been done to our people in, in Australia you know so many bad things uh, government policies uh, you know have always been against us you know we're still not included in the constitution uh, you know until the late 60s I think we were still classed as flora and fauna so we weren't even classed as people uh, you know so it all ties back to that first day in 1770 where Cook fired the first shots and those those items in these museums they represent uh, our resistance and they represent our struggle after 1770 because a lot of tribes have have nothing now, you know. They're, some tribes are wiped out. Some languages are extinct. You know, a lot of culture has been lost since 1770. So these artefacts are so important to, to telling that real story of 1770. You know, they might change people's minds back home because Australia is a very racist place for First Nations people and... I really think once these artefacts get returned, the non-Indigenous people of Australia, they'll really learn the true history of what happened in 1770. You know, we were shot at first. Uh, you know, we haven't been thought of as people from that first day in 1770. And you only got to look uh, through current news, uh, you know, back in Australia now, uh, you know, deaths in custody, um, you know, where people, uh, you know, they go into jail for fines and, and you know, they don't come out. Um, so, 
this has a lot to do with uh, the way my culture is thought of back home. Um, you know, we're not thought of um, very well back home. Uh, you know, we're, we've always had that struggle and these artefacts can really change what people think of us and, you know, they could just do so much back home, a uh, hundred times more than they could ever do sitting in museums in the UK. So you've talked a lot about the need to confront the history of the sort of mistreatment and the injustices and abuses committed against Indigenous peoples in Australia. Uh, I'm just wondering, I guess, what other steps you think could be taken to confront that history and what other forms of, I suppose, reparations you'd like to see as ways of uh, sort of making progress in that direction? Well, it's mainly about education uh, can change the way things happen back home. Uh, a lot of people... Uh, don't know the real history of what's happened. It's it's been lost. Uh, you know, it's the sort of history that Australia shies away from all the time. They don't want to teach about massacres. What happened? They don't want to teach about wars being perpetrated on my people. You know, they don't want to teach how segregated we were and, and weren't allowed to go to town and, and weren't allowed to associate with uh, non-Indigenous people. You know, we weren't allowed to swim in the same pools. You know, all of that can change very easy and, and it's all about education and, and that's why these artefacts are such an important uh, education tool uh, back home. We've got to start from the start. So, you know, in any investigation, you know, people go back to the start and, and find out what really happened. A part of this whole healing process and getting this uh, real history taught is, is going back to the start. And that's uh, 1770. And, and, and finally, righting the wrongs that, that happened in 1770 and afterwards. So, you know, it's all about education and just educating the youth you know we mightn't be able to educate the older generation yet but if we start with the youth the younger kids in school once they're older you know things will change and and once they're in power uh you know they they'll have that understanding of of where we come from and who we are and and how we've been treated for the last over 200 years so yeah, it's all about education for me and, and that's the way to, you know, let people know the true history. So we were just wondering, what's next for you? What's next for the campaign? And where do you see this going in the future? Well, I've got an event on Saturday the 4th. I'm going to gather at the Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology and then I'm going to march to Trinity College. And, you know, that's just to let them know that, that I'm here and, and, you know, I'm willing to travel over here all the time uh, just to talk to people. But, uh, you know, I'm going to go back home uh, and I'm going to hopefully, um, you know, raise a lot more money so I can bring the elders back with me. Uh, so my next plan is uh, I'm going to be back over here and I'm going to be bringing uh, my elders with me and, you know, they're going to be uh, doing many lectures around the place and just talking to people 
uh, like I am, you know, trying to get them on our side. Yeah, so that's one of the things I'm going to do as well when I get back home. You know, I'm going to go and try and see my government uh, because, you know, they've passed motions supporting me. So I think it's about time uh, these governments back home uh, act on those motions and, and start supporting me either financially or, or you know, just um, lending a helping hand somehow. So, you know, the campaign is not going to end. It's going to keep going and going for as long as they have ownership of these artefacts. I could see my sons, uh, my grandsons, uh, fighting for these artefacts uh, the way it's going. But I really hope that my sons and, and my grandsons don't, don't have to, uh, you know, come over here and, and fight for our culture to be returned. Uh, you know, I've got a wife and kids back home, a wife and five kids, and it's always hard for me leaving them. Um, but, you know, they, they're proud of what I'm doing. They know I've got a job to do, and and that's what makes me feel better when, I, when I'm travelling so far away from home, uh, is I know that um, there are people back home and here that, that know what's right and and hopefully one day soon uh, I'll be coming back and you know these artifacts will be getting returned I'll never stop until one day my people are the rightful owners of these artifacts and and they're returned to them so hopefully it doesn't come down to uh, you know my sons and grandsons uh, coming over here in in 20 30 years uh, the sort of people we are, um, you know, we're, we're always up for a long, long fight and long journey. So, um, yeah, the next steps are, are just, you know, still getting that support. So I'll be back in Cambridge and, and just around the streets and doing lectures, talking to people. And that's what I love to do. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rodney. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and we look forward to having you here again next time you're in Cambridge. In the meanwhile, we're wondering for everyone out there, our listeners and people who want to help out, are there any details for a website or campaign that you can share share with them? Yeah, so, uh, you know, people can find me on Facebook. Uh, I have a page called Bring Home the Gweagle Artifacts. And also they can just look my name up, Rodney Kelly. Also, I have a uh, website. It's antisystemic.org. Uh, slash Gweagle, um, and that's got a lot of information on that page. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, I encourage people just to Google uh, Gweagle artifacts, Gweagle spears, Gweagle shields, and, and there's so much information out there f- for you to learn. Thank you, Rodney. You know, thank you for having me on. Wow, that was a really powerful conversation. I don't know about you guys, but. Uh I, it got me thinking a lot about nation building and the revival of communities and languages as as uh, as Rodney was referring to. There's this uh, historical sort of tendency also across, you know, what we consider now modern nation states to collect cultural artifacts and cultural heritage and reclaim these as a as a platform for really rebuilding community and, and, and rebuilding that nation. Like some of these nation states did not exist prior to, you know, this form of sort of 
um, collective campaigning through which you sort of gathered these cultural artifacts and, and laid claim to a, a certain identity which was not popularly accepted, right? And this is very much the same thing. It's we're, we're seeing nation building in process, and that's really important. And unless we support this, there's a chance that uh, people of great histories will be forgotten. Yeah, um, that's really important. I think the thing that Rodney emphasizes um, in his activism and also in the incredible way that he speaks um, is that settler colonialism has an incredible legacy um, that continues until the current day. Um, and that it's not just about the return of these uh, artifacts that were stolen and taken under false pretenses and now housed in these auspicious spaces like the British Museum or Cambridge University's museum. I think what he speaks to is the fact that injustices can continue in ways that are not necessarily overtly violent, but that can ha carry the subtext and the history of violence themselves. And that until those specific injustices are remedied, there can be nothing that resembles peace. Sarah, so it's so good that you mentioned that, you know, these injustices are continuing. In many ways, the theft is still continuing and in, in forms not as blatant as if I on a beach. But if you look at the way in which intellectual property or traditional knowledge systems that belong to indigenous people are stolen by multinationals and not accredited to where, where it came from. I mean, in India, there was a famous case called the Neem Tree case where a pharmaceutical company in the United States was just using the products of the Neem Tree which were discovered by this indigenous tribe. And technically, it was a product that they had been manufacturing for a long period of time. So technically, if they understood how traditional patent systems worked, they would have had a patent to it and it would be owned by the community. But simply because they didn't opt into how, say, the international intellectual property framework works. They weren't given access to even owning a patent. So in many ways, the theft is is still continuing. And I think the first step is people like Rodney just putting their hands up and saying that we want, I mean, these artifacts back. But the larger message is simply that there is something special that each community has to contribute. And we cannot opt in to a majoritarian or, I mean, a colonized framework of the way we look at what is their property or their intellectual property or the products of their labor. And it's so true in so many parts of the world. And I think what people, we just need more people like Rodney just standing up for what is right. Yeah, and I think this question of giving credit to the right people, as you brought up with the medicine case, it brings up the point that it's not just fighting for what is right, but it's also fighting for what is true. Who do these things truly belong to? What does history truly tell us? So I think anyone invested in not just pursuing justice, but also pursuing truth should be very invested in these issues. Yeah, and I, I think Rodney spoke so potently on that point, like talking about the importance of, like, when, you know, when we asked him what was the first step he wanted to take, you know, after the return of these artifacts, he just said education. And like, that's obviously, he places this huge emphasis on people just learning what happened and on the importance of truth and how the obfuscation of that truth has been so crucial to the continuance of these abuses and to the continuance of kind of the refusal to own up to them and the refusal to take any steps to solve them. So truth, humility, and education, and embracing that other people will lay claim to cultural artifacts in future and fully supporting that. That is a message uh, we're getting out of today's conversation with Rodney. Thank you, everyone. And hopefully today's conversation will have empowered you or given you some sort of idea of what you can do to support causes like these.
Thank you for tuning in to Declarations, a human rights podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please go to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. Uh, we'd really appreciate any feedback that you might have. And please reach out to us on facebook.com slash declarations podcast or on Twitter at declarations pod. Join us again next week as we continue to explore the theme of protest as it relates to human rights. See you then.